At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep, open-minded conversation. I'm the one they call Shane, and in today's discussion, we hover over the misconceptions based around the flying saucer phenomenon and where exactly that terminology comes from. Then, phasing into the idea of misdirection, we get into what impacts legends and stories could play on the current ufology community. But before we get into this fascinating conversation... Don't forget to go and check out the show across social media and video platforms. I am on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Discord. Always trying to build those up. So uh, any follow, any like, all of that is uh, greatly appreciated. And if you want to pop in specifically and have some awesome conversation with some like-minded individuals, don't forget about the Discord. Show it a little bit of love. Uh, Trying to build that up. There's a lot more interaction going on with each passing day. And I know that you guys want to jump on the ground floor of that and keep expanding it because I love talking to you guys, love hearing what you guys have to say. And there's a lot building up and going on in the Discord. So highly, highly recommend going and checking that out. And if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or possibly having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, you guys can get a hold of me through email or through social media. Instagram and Facebook are the ones that I'm the most active on. Or you guys can email me at inquiriesofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form that says contact me, and I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And I do respond to every single message I get. So make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders, make sure nothing gets missed in the process. 
And if anybody has an encounter to report, no matter how big, no matter how small, whether it's uh, extraterrestrial, uh, paranormal, cryptid-related, weird anomaly happening, any of that kind of stuff, I would absolutely love to hear about it. Uh, you guys can report your encounters to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com, or you guys go to the link tree, and there is a specific submission form for that. And depending on what you want to do with your encounter, either one, I can read it on the show and give you a shout-out, or I could possibly have you on as a guest to talk about your experiences on the show, or if you're somewhere relatively close to me, then I can go and investigate it. Or if you just want somebody to talk about it with and you don't want it to get out to anybody besides us, that's totally possible too. Uh, we'll have some back and forth. Just uh, don't forget to email me and talk to me about your encounters. And uh, if you can't get enough of what I do, don't forget to go and check out Bizarre Encounters, my other awesome show that I do with my co-host, Oren. A little bit different than the format from this show. Uh, this one's all interview and open discussion based where that is all of my and Oren D Orange deep dives. And uh, we do have some guests on within the mix, of course, but primarily that show has turned to us doing our deep dives. So if that sounds like something that might interest you, don't forget to go and check that show out. And uh, if you guys like the banter, you guys like the back and forth that Orn and I have on that show, don't forget to submit some questions for Bizarre Inquiries. That is the uh, mini show that Orn and I started doing where we discuss what if scenarios or any of your guys' awesome listener questions and let it get into a long chain of discussion. And, uh, at least for now, um, there will be one episode a month that gets posted onto YouTube and onto the normal feed, and all of the rest of the episodes for the month will be a Patreon exclusive, so everybody get a little taste of it, but if you can't get enough of it, don't forget to go and check that out as the Patreon exclusive if you want to get episodes of that every single week, but no matter what, if you submit a question, uh, even if it is a Patreon episode, if you are the person that submitted that question, I will get a copy of it to you because, of course, if you submit an awesome question, you will definitely get the opportunity to listen to the episode no matter what. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, don't forget to go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. I keep a lot of stuff under that just because it makes it a little bit easier for me to keep both my shows in one place, such as uh, the YouTube, the TikTok, the Discord, and of course the Patreon. All of that is under Open Minds Media instead of specifically Inquiries of All Reality or Bizarre Encounters. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one that I want to build up as much as possible this year is the Patreon. Over there, you'll get not just this show, but you'll also get Bizarre Encounters, uh, Bizarre Inquiries, and anything else that I expand on. I recently updated a lot of those tiers. There is four tiers available, and there's a lot of new benefits involved with those. So even if you've checked them out in the past, don't forget to go and check them out now. Uh, hopefully, they will be a lot more user-friendly, and you guys will enjoy some of the new benefits that I'm offering. But definitely go and check that out. And there is also a free trial period for seven days for the uh, $3 and the $5 tier. So so if you guys want to get a little taste, see what it's all about, uh, that is definitely a viable option over there. But you'll get things such as ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, which is the video format of it. Uh, you guys will also get exclusive merch store discounts. Uh, there's exclusive giveaways and there's special items that you can get only from becoming a Patreon member. That is some of the stuff that I recently updated because I know a lot of you guys like more of the tangible stuff. So that is definitely something that I'm offering as far as the Patreon goes. So I can't say it enough. Don't forget to go and check it out. See if any of it might suit you um, because the only way I'm ever going to be able to do this full time and possibly get to do things that I enjoy every single day, put out new content for you guys every single day is if I keep building that up as much as humanly possible. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, make it so I can get out to more events to be able to meet more of you guys, get new pockets of listeners, you guys can donate through Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate, 
uh, and it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, uh, let me know what you guys donated. And of course, I will give you a big shout out on the show. And uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll find stuff for inquiries. You'll find stuff for Bizarre Encounters, uh, some other random crypto designs, some holiday designs. I'm trying to expand that also as much as possible. And on social media, I do drop some random promo codes here and there. So if you guys want to check that out and keep an eye out for the promo code, don't forget to follow, of course, on social media. And of course, if there is anything that you really like, you guys can join the Patreon and you'll get exclusive merch store discounts depending on which tier. Uh, the higher tier you get, the bigger of a discount you get. So definitely a little bit more bang for your buck and get a little bit of both worlds and support the show as much as possible. And number four, you guys can leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Greatly appreciated. And if you guys leave a five-star review, of course, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. But the only way the show is going to be able to keep expanding is if you guys keep leaving those awesome reviews and ratings and make it so the algorithm pushes the show up even more. Uh, completely free way of promoting the show as much as possible. And I absolutely appreciate you guys for doing it. And of course, you guys can also share the show through word of mouth. If you think there's somebody that might enjoy a particular episode or the show as an entire whole, you guys can uh, even send them clips from the YouTube or the TikTok, get them into the show and... I mean, that'd be really fun if it's somebody at your work, a close friend, you guys can discuss episodes of the show, get into some awesome, bizarre conversations. But the only way it's ever going to happen is with you guys reviewing, sharing, rating, all of that fun stuff with the show. And uh, of course, talking about uh, some more people in the community that I would love to promote as much as possible. Don't forget to go and check out I Know Squatch for all of your Squatchy gear needs. Uh, they have the awesome Creeper design and the Whoop design. Uh, for anybody that sees any of the video content of the show, 90% of the time I'm wearing at least the Whoop hat, but they have absolutely fantastic gear. They're always dropping new stuff. Uh, some of the new stuff that I actually recently received was this awesome camouflage Squatch hoodie that I'm currently wearing. I know that they said there's limited supply of it, but I'm sure if you guys ask enough for it, uh, you'll guys be able to pick some up for yourselves. Great quality. It's a super thin hoodie, but it's super duper warm because it's fleece on the inside. I really like it and it has the little embroidered creeper patch on it. So you ain't got to worry about overwashing it too much. You guys can just wear it as much as you possibly want. Like I said, I absolutely love it. I think you guys definitely will too. And uh, for any other cryptid related gear that you guys might be looking for, uh, be it you guys want to find some Mothman gear, you guys want to find some Flatwoods Monster, uh, Wendigo, uh, literally pretty much anything that you guys could possibly imagine as far as cryptids go. You guys can go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. I know he is in between convention seasons currently, so he's going to be dropping a lot of new awesome designs over there. Um, and I know that he pretty much has any of any big cryptid you could possibly think of. He has multiple series for it. Absolutely fantastic. My closet consists of Crypto Theology, I Know Squatch, and all of my merch designs. And that's pretty much about all I wear at this point. And uh, for all of my paranormal investigators out there don't forget to go and check out the chattergeist it is the all-in-one paranormal investigating device uh, i use it every single time i go out it's my absolute favorite and if you guys have any questions pertaining to it you guys can always go and hit up barry over there on dimension devices he is the guy that programmed and developed it so he can answer literally any technical question you may have on the device whatsoever and i know he dropped some random promos here and there so that's always something to definitely look out for um, i know he has some stuff on youtube from some other people that uh, if you guys want to see it actually in action and actually working absolutely fantastic but if you guys decide to pick that up don't forget to go and use my affiliate link i would greatly appreciate it and it helps out the show like crazy and uh, everything that i mentioned is all available in the link tree which is available down in the show description and with that let's get into the show
please welcome to the show for the second time, researcher, investigator, and filmmaker, Ryder Lee. How's it going today, man? How's it going, my friend? I'm super cold. Got my giant jacket on, trying to stay warm. <laughs> you and me both, man. Like anybody that's ever that watches the live video of anything that I do, I don't normally wear a hoodie, and today I felt the need to do it. And it's like one of those thick fleece hoodies, so it's like thin but thick. Like we're getting hit hard, fucking everywhere, man. It's like you went from 50 degrees to like basically negative skin blistering temperatures, man. Like it <laughs> out of out of nowhere, and it seems like it's entirely across like the north of the U.S. Because I'm in Michigan, you said you're in Colorado, and we're getting hit with same thing, just like a 10 degree difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's coming down super hard. It dropped dramatically, but uh, I got that little space heater on. I'm ready to rock and roll. Thanks for having me on for a second time, brother. Really appreciate your time this evening. Absolutely, man. So I guess for anybody that may not have listened to the first episode that we did, I kind of try to give everybody kind of a rough premise about who people are, what they do, where they come from. So uh, why don't you let them know a little bit about your work, a little bit about yourself. And uh, before we get into the actual meat and potatoes of the conversation today, man, because I know you said you got some new research you want to talk about, so... Yes, absolutely. Um, my name's Ryder Lee. I host and produce a show on YouTube, on Rockfin, on Rumble, Odyssey, any of the alternative platforms called Raised by Giants. You can also find it on any and all podcast platforms as well, where I try and dig deep into the root of a lot of the popular things uh, that people like to talk about within the alternative community. I believe the last time that I was on, we talked about UFO cults and I did 14 of those episodes. And now I am going to be moving on this week, actually. So you're going to be getting a, you and your audience are going to be getting a little preview of my first episode that I'm going to be doing on Thursday named the legends of UFOlogy. And I thought that this would be a very important thing to do to go back and examine some of the first people that really influenced UFOlogy up until this point. And the first person that I'm going back and digging deep into is the first person that really blew the whole thing wide open that had a sighting in 1947, which is Kenneth Arnold. And that's where I'm going to start. And then I'm just going to keep going on down the line until I run out of people that I think have influenced UFOlogy. So it's going to be a really fun time. And if uh, people are interested uh, to come over to my channel and, uh, and check it out. Definitely, man. You got some fascinating uh, stuff that you dive into. Like I know originally when I first found you talking on shows, when I wanted to get you on, you're talking about MK Ultra, and then you came onto the show and you're talking about UFO cults and that was still like your fresh thing. So it was, I was one of the first shows that you actually got to talk about with that one too. So that's even better that on this one, I'll be one of the first shows you get to talk to. And I'm assuming that it's kind of like a, like a chain reaction that you dive into one rabbit hole and it kind of led to the other one. Cause it seems like they all kind of chain off of each other, assumably, right? They do. And what really got me interested in, in going down this way is because people don't realize where a lot of this terminology and a lot of these thoughts and ideas and belief systems come from. And I believe we were talking about it last time with these UFO cults. Like you get so much information from those cults that are continuously regurgitated within the community to this very day. And I'm finding the exact same thing with modern UFOlogy when it comes to Kenneth Arnold. And with people that are not familiar with Kenneth Arnold, I mean, if you're any way, shape, or formed and uh, know anything about UFOs, you should be familiar with uh, who Kenneth Arnold was. And so he was flying in Washington. He was a he was a pilot. He was a um, 
well, later on, he became a politician after a sighting. So he was flying around in close to Mount Rainier, Washington, around the mountainside. He was looking for downed um, marine craft. And he spotted these objects in the sky. And he said, this is what he said, okay? He never called these craft flying saucers, ever. Those words never came out of Kenneth Arnold's mouth. He called them boomerang-shaped, bat-shaped, uh, that sometimes he would call them pie pan-shaped, but he never called them the shape of the craft flying saucers, ever. So what happened was he saw the sighting. He called them bat-shaped, wing-shaped, uh, boomerang-shaped. He landed his craft. He told uh, some of the, his fellow pilots at the station where he landed about it. They thought that it, he saw some sort of advanced military craft or advanced uh, missiles, right? So not satisfied with their explanation of it, he goes into a news station and tells the story to the, to the newspaper. The newspaper then prints headlines saying that Kenneth Arnold saw saucer, flying saucers, saucer-shaped craft. So this whole idea of what a flying saucer is has been a huge, giant misnomer and a misdirection and misinterpretation of what Kenneth Arnold said and has been programmed in the people uh, since that sighting of Kenneth Arnold that flying saucers, that flying saucers is the shape of the craft. When it's not, it was never the shape of the craft. It's really mm -hmm. funny that you mentioned this, actually, because I just recently did a Hopskinville Goblins episode on uh, Bizarre Encounters. And the whole premise of like Little Green Men came from an article that was written about that experience when obviously the people that experienced it never described them as green. They described them as silver with having that glow about them. So it's like, there's a lot of things that are like the mainstream as far as ufology goes being little green men, flying saucers, but the origin, the origin of where those phrasings came from never described them that way in any means. So it's like, what, what what's the reasoning behind like changing it? Is it, it sounds better. Maybe it, pulls people in to actually read it possibly, but like, I don't know. I think well, little problem, silver men are just as problem, weird as little green men, but <laughs> the problem with calling it flying saucers is when you hear the name or the term flying saucer, you automatically get the flying saucer shape into your head. That was the issue with changing the name. Now, Kenneth Arnold did say that they flew like saucers across the water. And that's where the misrepresentation and the misunderstanding first started with this gentleman that he told about in this news station, at this, uh, this paper printing uh, news press station, right? And that's where the misrepresentation happened. He said that they flew like saucers across water, not the shape. He said the shape was bat-shaped, boomerang-shaped, pie-pan-shaped, not shaped like a flying saucer. And then he comes out with a drawing of that, which looks like a, uh, a bat. Anybody can, I don't have the photo uh, in my hand or I would bring it up, but they have like uh, three wings. Like it looks like a, like a, what are, what are those uh, batarangs that Batman would throw? You know, the, the, like it has the two uh, circular 
wings on the side and then like one circular wing in the center. See, that kind of reminds me of like, could that have been early technology for like the stealth bomber? Because it seems like it's kind of somewhat along the same lines as far as the shape goes. That if you see the stealth bomber from below, it really, it does have that battering shape, including the little like triangle points in the back that almost give it that bat wing look to it. That's exactly right. That's what a lot of the craft that have been disclosed uh, nowadays seem to look like. And it seems like an early version of what they were developing and working on back in 1947. And the really interesting part of this entire thing, which very few people even know about, even talk about, don't even really want to get into and are very perplexed by what I'm about to tell you, which I, I'm actually kind of stunned and perplexed by it as well. I've had to read it several times and try and jumble it around in my head and to try and make sense of it. But it came from this book called Saucers by Chris Albeck. And he has done a deep dive into Kenneth Arnold. Uh, he, he lays all of it out, all of the, the, the research, all of the quotes from Kenneth Arnold. And then in the next chapter, he gets into this sport, the sport of flying saucers which was developed in 1880 by George Lewitsky, where before it was used for target practice and uh, training shooters, right? But before 1980, they would release live birds into the sky, right? And they would target practice and shoot the birds and, and kill the birds. Well, George Lewitsky, he had the idea, which is identical to what... <laughs> Kenneth Arnold said the way that the saucers flew. Kenneth Arnold said that the saucers flew like uh, skipping a saucer across water. Well, George Lewitsky came up with his idea to use clay disc, clay pigeons, and he called them flying saucers. He got that idea from watching kids skip saucers across water. Yeah, I was literally just about to make that connection too and say clay pigeons and they have like that circular rotation pattern to it. And assumably too, like, you know, you use those for like skeet shooting, but if you were going to do some type of like, uh, you know, you have like ground artillery, assumably there might be some type of technology not even when do you have to be inside any type of advanced technology, but assumably like a bigger version of that disc that you could fling up into the sky from some type of machine that would make it so that you can hit it from the ground with like heavy artillery, possibly to learn how to like shoot down incoming planes, possibly. And if people are close enough to a military base and saw these things getting flung up, I mean, people would have assumed that they were a flying saucer and they would have had that circular spinning rotation pattern to them that would have been what was actually keeping them up and they're never zero gravity but rather just some type of maybe like a plastic or you know a ceramic or something like that yeah clay but the the, the whole point here is is that people were familiar with the terminology decades before kenneth arnold's sighting right so by the early 1900s flying saucers which is clay pigeons had become a very popular sport as uh, there were competitions, championships, and there was news headlines all over the place uh, that, that stated North America is covered in flying saucers flying through the air and exploding and falling to earth, which is the exact replica of the phrases of what everyone thought several decades later with Kenneth Arnold's sighting. 
the Roswell incident as well, also in 1947, right? And also the sightings in the 50s as well. It's just a coincidence, right? So by the 20th century, the name Flying Saucers had become a commonplace name being used for over two decades before Kenneth Arnold sighting. The sport of Flying Saucers became so popular, it was adopted by the Olympics. And in 1916, the number of participants in the sport of Flying Saucers was 600,000 people in the United States all knew the term flying saucers and called these clay pigeons flying saucers. The military even adopted it to train their soldiers in target practice in the beginning of World War II. Has there ever been any patents as far as like a, like a bigger variation of clay pigeons that they could possibly be using for like, again, trying to like practice heavy artillery? Because you wouldn't be able to do that with like a normal size clay pigeon. Those things are only like maybe six inches or, uh, from one side to the other. Well, I believe for the military, they made them uh, bigger. They would have like these giant uh, big uh, skeet shooters that they would have to pull back and then shoot it into the air so the art artillerymen could uh, see them and shoot them. So they did become much bigger than the little tiny uh, clay ones that were probably about that big they did become bigger whenever the military started using them for target practice for their, um, their, uh, their uh, gunners, right? So we have clay pigeons being called flying saucers since 1880. Hundreds and thousands of people are familiar with the term. The military adopted the term and practiced uh, in the early 40s during World War II. And two years after the war ended, we get the term flying saucer, but in a different context, right? And I'm really at a at a loss of words and it's kind of really perplexing, right? I have no idea really what that means other than it's already in the subconscious mind of everybody. And then they want to relate to what there's what Kenneth Arnold seen in the sky as something relatable that had already been established within the, the subconscious of everyone in the world. I mean, you get into the whole idea about a lot of these flying saucers possibly being like advanced human technology. Do you think that that could have theoretically been some type of inspiration to possibly continue on building something like within that shape is that they create something with like a really light alloy that spins and catches the air and lifts itself up. And then maybe they create some kind of a compartment inside of it that doesn't actually rotate with the outside. And maybe it finds a way to like self propel itself. Like, do you think it led to a point where they actually started developing technology that kind of fit into that shape because they realized that it might have a good flight pattern? I don't think so because literally only 2% of the sightings since Kenneth Arnold's sightings were saucer shaped, disc shaped, like what people believe that Kenneth Arnold sighted. Like there are way more reports of even Kenneth Arnold himself said in an interview, he was like, listen, I don't think that we should be calling this kind of phenomenon uh, flying saucers. It should be described more as a strange phenomenon in the sky. So did he start to originate the term of like UFO or like, do, do you know where that like particular term and terminology came from and why they have advanced it now into using like a whole other term, assumably to like kind of step away from the connotation with like ufology in general. But you know, like, do, do you know well, where that like term originated from? Well, we've seen that from the switch from UFO to UAP, right? And normally whenever they switch a name like that is so that they don't have to uh, 
get involved in the stigmatism of what it was called before. So they don't really have to look at anything of what sightings and people that experienced or saw something strange or something weird. They don't have to acknowledge those people because now if you do a FOIA request for uh, UFOs, like if you do a FOIA request and you're like, Hey, like, uh, could you send me all of the information that you um, have on UFOs? Or if you know of a specific document, they're going to write you back and say, uh, we don't have any information on UFOs. And that's so what they're going to say. Because it's not UFOs anymore. The title has been changed. It's been changed to UAP. So your, your wording really makes a difference. But if you titled it, uh, could you give me such and such uh, reports? Uh, you're doing filing a FOIA request. You're like, can, can you give me a report on December 25th of uh, 1957? Right? I just made up a random date right there on UAPs then they would be able to supply you with that information. But if you said UFO, they're going to come back with you and say, oh, we don't have any of that. Do you think there's a possibility that they might in their actual, like, uh, you know, hidden paperwork actually use like a different name for it? Because you got the whole thing with like Grace, for example, that, you know, you can try to send in asking for aliens. You could try to send in asking for Grays, and you're not going to get anything. It's not until you start looking up like J-Rods. And now that they have... Kind of, that's kind of come to the forefront that they refer to them as J-Rods. Now I'm sure there's a whole different term that they use altogether, and it's more so just trying to compartmentalize information where people don't necessarily know the exact term to look up. But as soon as their terminology goes to the mainstream or to the fringe stream, then they know to change the name again. It's like that continuous progression with like MK Ultra, where they just keep changing the names of these projects so that you can never actually follow the paper trail of them anymore. That's exactly right. There's so many misnomers with this stuff, and we just discussed the flying saucer misnomer. Now, I'm under the belief, in my personal opinion, that crash retrievals is also a misnomer as well. Right? A crash retrieval can be anything. It could be a down foreign satellite. It could be a, uh, any kind of military aircraft that has come down. Right? doesn't mean that it's... Cause when, People think of what a crash retrieval is. I think the majority of the population, especially the people that are involved in this community and, and research and look into this stuff, whenever they hear the term crash retrieval, they think that, well, this must be modern times. This must be something that someone actually witnessed falling out of the sky or something that they captured on radar or uh, something that recently happened, right? When that doesn't have to be the case, a crash retrieval could technically be something that you dug up in the archaeological dig. I mean, I, I kind of wonder too, if they compartmentalize within different departments that you wouldn't expect to. So like most people would expect that like the air force, for example, would go after like crash retrievals, but maybe they actually have it hidden somewhere where it makes sense to them, but the general public would know to look there. Like prime example would be like, maybe they could hide the stuff like this as in social security, where you think of social security as, you know, what the general public thinks is social security, but they could be seeing it as like, it's social security for the public and they could hide a department where they're doing these like secret programs within departments that you'd never even look in, look into in the first place. Yeah. That's the compartmentalization of the entire phenomenon. And that's how it really works with anything. And people claiming and saying that we have the right to know about UFOs and what the government knows. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do, 
do we have the right to know what the, the, the military is doing on any given basis? Do we have the right to know what the mili- what the CIA? It's not called the the Central Information Agency. It's called the the Central Intelligence Agency. You think they're going to come out and tell you everything that they're doing? I mean, at that no, point, it's literally survived. somebody could just be a citizen and they could be a complete spy and get all the information at that point. It's like that. That's that's where it kind of comes down to is they can't tell the general public everything they know because if you can access it that easy, anybody from anywhere could access it that easy. Yeah, it's stupid for these people to uh, th- these people to think that that we have the right to know anything that the military or these three-letter organizations are doing. If they're not going to tell you what they're doing uh, on a daily basis, why? what makes you think that they're going to tell you about UFOs and extraterrestrials? I think the only reason that people feel that way is just because your taxpayer dollars go towards it. But other than that, it's like, you know, the, the people that try to be on the one side and try to say the argument is essentially they'll say like, oh, we pretty much pay your checks as like taxpayers. So like that's where they feel like they have the right to know. But again, it's like a matter of the, the information gets into the wrong hands and who knows what anybody could do with it. And I mean, as nice as it would be to have full disclosure to everybody, you know, as soon as say, for example, one country says, all right, we have an alien and we have a craft in our possession in our country. What's going to happen with all the other countries that want that technology? They're going to start trying to come in and invade just to get that technology. So it's also like putting a target on your back by releasing the information too. Because I mean, stuff kind of gets trickled off years later, but by the time that happens, it's like, who knows where those items actually went? You know, like crash retrievals, like if it's from something from the fifties, by now it's long gone. You have no idea where that thing could be hidden at, you know? But if you tell people right off the bat, then everybody's going to come flocking to try to get that technology. Exactly. And you can apply that exactly what you said to everything that the military does, everything the the three letter organizations may or may not be doing. That same thing that you just said applies to all of that as well. It's no different than the UFO and the uh, supposed extraterrestrial topic. It's the exact same thing. So, you know, it, it just irks me when I hear people like, uh, you know, they're like, we have a right to know. We have a need to know. We, They should tell us everything that they know. Well, they're not going to do that. They're never going to do that. And there's reasons that they're never going to do that. But the problem is, is that they believe that this has been a giant, huge cover-up of extraterrestrial life since Roswell. Well, not even since Roswell. Roswell wasn't even a very popular right when it happened. It didn't become popular until uh, Bill Moore's book that came out uh, in the early 80s, the Roswell book, which then Bill Moore tried to come out at a UFO MUFON conference in the late 80s and say that it's all made up. He said that it was all bullshit, that it was all government mis- and disinformation, and then they booed him off of the stage, right? So you, you can't argue with people that want to believe this stuff is actually happening, right? You can't. And then when you look back at the Mirage Men documentary and you get into the case of Paul Benowitz and him living next to a Air Force base and getting recordings and video of very strange craft and then tries to contact the Air Force, the Air Force 
patches him into a gentleman named Richard Doty. Richard Doty goes and talks to Paul Benowitz, confirms all of his preconceived notions about what he was seeing. The NSA then breaks into Paul Benowitz's house, replaces his computer with a different computer to make him believe that he's in contact with aliens and extraterrestrials. And everything that was on that computer that he thought that he was contacting with extraterrestrials uh, that he was communicating with beings not from this planet are some of the very things that are regurgitated in the community to this very day. So it's like layers of a cover-up. I mean, you've seen different things where it make reference to, uh, like, there'll be some type of government project, and then they'll use, like, screen memory cover-up using, you know, mind manipulation to essentially cover it up then with extraterrestrials. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, where the layers might lie that obviously there's a huge split when it comes to the UFO and alien phenomenon that there's, like, humans that are involved in this stuff, and there's actual the possibility that there could be extraterrestrials in it. But I'm sure linking off of, like, I, I know I've met, mentioned this on a few shows, but I know you did a lot of research into MKUltra, so you might be able to kind of continue on with this. But, you know, there's there's specific cases, such as, like, the Pascagoula um abduction where the if you read the transcripts from the actual people that were abducted they make reference to there being like a female entity and it looked like she had like a mask line so like what i kind of think with a lot of like the abduction and the ufo stuff is that it might be a continuation on from mk ultra from just trying to do weird experiments on people in general that they created some type of a psychedelic that may not necessarily be known to the mainstream and they could potentially give this to people and it might not actually have any like trace in their bloodstream after it's actually like dwindled out of their body. And essentially they can pretend like they're abducting people. Uh, people are under, under the influence of some type of psychedelic drug. And then they think that they're getting abducted by aliens, but it's actually people just wearing alien masks and conducting whatever experiment that they're happen to be working on at that specific time. But it's like, again, a hard split that I think that there is the possibility of there actually being extraterrestrials, but then there's also this huge faction inside that I think a lot of it is government black budget programs that are getting manipulated into people thinking that they're getting abducted by aliens when it's never even aliens in the first place. Well, if you're the government and you broke into Paul Benowitz's house and replaced his computer with a another computer to make him believe that he's communicating with extraterrestrials. Why would you do that if extraterrestrials were real? Like, why would you confirm all of the preconceived notions of what Paul Benowitz already thought was happening if he was actually on the something? If he was actually on target, why would you go in and confirm it? See, what you would do if it was the opposite thing, if he really was seeing extraterrestrials, if it really was extraterrestrial craft, what you would do is you would go in and you would tell him, no, this isn't extraterrestrial craft. This is military craft. This is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. But instead, it's the opposite because it's not extraterrestrials. They got to make it seem like that it is extraterrestrials. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, that makes complete sense. I was kind of thinking along the same thing that they're just trying to like instill the point that, oh yeah, it's extraterrestrials. Cause it's like, even just a lot of the new recent like UFO disclosure stuff, like it just seems off, you know, like the whole like idea, I know I've been talking about a lot on the show recently, but the whole like 10 foot alien concept that it seems like these things are popping up everywhere. 
And when people have like firsthand encounters with these things, such as like the original girl um, who dealt with the Peruvian face peelers and they didn't end up actually taking her, but they cut up her neck and everything. She was saying that she was hearing those, hearing them speak Spanish. And then you get into the whole thing that may or may not have happened in Miami, but the people that were there that were talking about it supposedly claim that these things were like phasing in. Like they didn't seem like they're actually physical like in this reality. And I mean, you can get into the whole like extraterrestrial off the wall side of that, of course, but you can also get into the side of it that there's some type of like hologram technology that they're trying to test out. And they're trying to kind of like put these little Easter eggs everywhere so that when weird phenomenon happens, everybody instantly wants to jump to the extraterrestrial concept. And then in turn, it makes it so that they can pretty much test out any technology they want that the public isn't aware of. And they're instantly going to say it's aliens instead of actually pointing at the government and saying that there's a possibility that this could all be government technology that they're just testing out on the public to see if people will believe it or fall for it. Because if somebody's even slightly bit aware that they're getting something tested on them, like if you're going to test to see if it would work with like soldiers, you know, if they hear that they're going into a test, of course, they're going to have that in their mind already that, you know, what I'm seeing may not actually be what I what I think that it is. But if you're just blindly testing on the general public, that's like the perfect opportunity to see if it's actually going to work and actually is going to be believable and people are actually going to fall for it or not. And then you have no tie back to you because again, everybody's going extraterrestrials and you can freely test this stuff out and have no link back to yourself. You can't do anything about extraterrestrials, right? Can't do anything about them because there are very highly advanced. They got highly advanced craft. They got med beds, technology that we wish that we had. Can't do anything about them. But what you can do about is humans. You can do something about governments. You can do something about three-letter organizations. But when you turn it into a space aliens, right? Riding that cosmic train all the way to Mars and to the moon and to the Pleiades, right? There's nothing that you can do about them because they're so much highly advanced than us. They can wipe us out in an instant, right? So when you look at it in that way, if aliens did exist and aliens were real, the government would try to convince us otherwise. If they weren't real and it's military craft, they would try and convince us that it's aliens. So it's like, it's this, this back and forth thing. And literally my personal belief is the only reason that they have finally came out and said that UFOs are real well, UAPs now. UAPs are, are, are real. We get that uh, Washington Post article and the Pentagon confirms that uh, these craft are real. But they don't confirm that extraterrestrials are real. Nowhere, anywhere has the government ever said that extraterrestrials are real or that aliens are real. Never. They've never done it. All they say is that these craft outmaneuver our craft in the modern day technology that we currently have, which is what they've been seeing since the fifties. That's the exact same thing that they've said after every single event, they come out and say, oh, we have no reason to believe that this had anything to do with extraterrestrials. Well, if it doesn't have anything to do with extraterrestrials, that only leaves one other option. 
There's only one other thing that it could possibly be, right? So they had to come out because the theories of the speculations and the hyperbole and the conspiracy theories surrounding extraterrestrials had grown so popular that they could no longer put a lid on it anymore. They had to come out and throw some kind of bone to these people and be like, uh, yeah, actually, uh, uh, UFOs are real. UAPs are real. But people have gotten it in their heads for decades now, the association with extraterrestrials and UFOs, that whenever the government confirms that UAPs are real, in their mind, they also believe that extraterrestrials are real. Because of the association of UFOs and extraterrestrials and people not knowing what the craft is, so they assume that it's alien or they assume that it's extraterrestrial. So they couldn't put it, they couldn't keep saying that this stuff doesn't exist because that would create too many problems for them longer down the road if they kept saying that, no, it's not, it's not real. It's not happening. So they had to come in. And here's another thing too, is around the time of Paul Benowitz, which was in the, um, uh, the late 70s, 79, around that time, he was seeing advanced military craft that was being tested at this Air Force base that his house was really close to. Now, the reason that they probably went to him and said, oh, no, uh, it's extraterrestrials. You're totally right. It's uh, advanced alien technology. Shh, don't tell anyone, right? The reason that they probably said that is because they hadn't quite figured out the technology yet. And in order to come out and say, oh, well, yeah, these things are real and it not really be real, they had to have figured it out and they had to have done it to the point that they could whip them out and bring them out at any point in time and they perform accurately and perfectly. So they had to do the extraterrestrial alien cover-up and that story with Paul Benowitz got completely 100% out of hand and uh, they could no longer put a lid on it. So they really screwed up with that whole thing because that has just been cemented into lore and mythology. Uh, they were telling these fake aliens that Paul Benowitz was communicating with so that the aliens were coming to take our resources and abduct people for their uh, biological matter and their DNA and all that, which is the exact same thing that's being talked about to this very day. And Richard Doty is responsible for a large chunk of it, large chunk of it. He got Bill Moore uh, to write that entire book on Roswell and, and confirming that, that it was extraterrestrial aliens that crashed in Roswell when it was probably more than likely an advanced military craft that we'd been working on that just downed. And the people that saw it didn't know anything about it They because they weren't privy to it because they weren't in that program. They didn't have the need to know what that craft was. So therefore, they called it not from this world. So Richard Doty has been responsible for a lot of nonsense. He got Linda Moulton Howell on some nonsense. He got a lot of people up into the mid-90s on a bunch of nonsense, like creating fake... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Documents and giving them to people as like top secret briefings. That's how far they went. That's how far the government went to spread mis- and disinformation about uh, extraterrestrials. I mean, on two sides of that, too, it could be plausible deniability in the aspect of, like, if you create, like, this is what an alien looks like, then if it's some type of, like, advanced military suit, then it kind of holds you into that premise where it has to look like this. Otherwise, people aren't going to think it's like an extraterrestrial. So if they leave the idea of extraterrestrials up and out in the air where, you know, they could essentially test out these advanced suits and look totally, completely different every time somebody has interaction with them, then it can still kind of fit within the alien paradigm. But on the other side of it, too, it's like if there are actual extraterrestrials that have crash landed, you know, I feel like that's one of those things that you wouldn't know about it at all. And if you did, it would only be maybe like a slight little blimp and then it would be sidetracked into something else completely like they wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't get all the full details of the story because they would try so hard to cover it up. But they seem like they trickle certain things out again to try to just keep people looking in a different direction from them. Because at least like going back to the Peruvian face peelers, for example, um, the way that they're described is like some form of like advanced suit. So, I mean, like if you're trying to test out these advanced suits again, you don't want to have like this is what they look like. Because otherwise, you know, people are, are going to be like, oh, that's not an alien because it doesn't look like this. You know, it, it, it kind of holds you back from being able to expand your technology if you specify that this is exactly what it looks like. That's right. And that's exactly what happened with... Um uh, Kenneth Arnold as well. I mean, we've all been, every conference uses the symbology of a flying saucer. Uh, people use it in their thumbnails. It's been singed into uh, all the movies that we've watched about alien abductions. They're all in like a saucer-shaped craft, especially some of the early ones, those, those black and white ones. Uh, and when that's never what they were. So they've gotten people off track with the name from the very jump. So the entire ufology phenomenon has been a misdirection and a uh, misrepresentation and a huge um, discrepancy between what Arnold saw, what became the popular phrase of what they are, and what people still to this day used to describe what UFOs look like when it's been wrong the entire time. It's a giant misnomer. And like I was mentioning, I think that the crash retrieval thing is also a giant misnomer. Like, let's say me and you, right? Let's say we're in Iraq, right? We're doing an excavation. And we're doing an archaeological excavation, we stumble upon a, uh, a UFO, some kind of advanced technology. Not saucer-shaped, right, because it's not what they are, but some kind of advanced craft, some kind of advanced uh, unidentified object. Would that not be 
a crash retrieval? I mean, technically it would be, no matter how long it's been sitting there for. There we go. That's that's my uh, that's my point right there. Is that it doesn't matter how long it's been. And then when you look at, you know, people that have claimed like um, Bob Lazar, doesn't matter what you think about Bob Lazar. I don't think he ever worked at Area 51. But some of the things that he says is interesting. And I think maybe they brought Bob Lazar into a undisclosed military base to show him some stuff. I think that's the most likely thing that happened because there's proof and evidence that he never worked there. There's proof and evidence that he never went to any of the colleges that he said that he went to. He's not in any of the college yearbooks. It's like he didn't, uh, that, that he made a bunch of stuff up. But something interesting about Bob Lazar is whenever he said that he's seen the craft, it looked like he was under the impression that it was, uh, it was dug up, that it came from a, uh, an archaeological dig. And then when you look at the Wilson document, which the Wilson document is uh, very polarizing too. Half the community think that the Wilson document is real. Half the community think that the Wilson document is fake. Some of those documents came directly from Richard Doty's IP address. Some of them came from Stephen Greer's IP address. So it's kind of up in the air, which who thinks that they're real, who thinks that they're not. Richard Dolan thinks that it's real. He was just in that TMZ new UFO documentary, UFO Revolution, saying that they're real. But the interesting part about the Wilson document is that it describes a craft and that they don't know if it can fly or not. They don't really know what it is. And that gets into, well, they don't know what it is. They don't know if it can fly. They don't even know if it's a craft at all at that point, right? Exactly. Like, did they dig it up? Was it in an archaeological dig? And then you think, oh, well, man, did we just not uh, invade Iraq and Afghanistan in 2001? You know, and that's where people say a lot of uh, the some of the, the lost civilizations are from. You know, could we not been there doing all these archaeological digs, trying to find all this lost advanced technology? I mean, that's just pure speculation, no proof, no evidence. And I just think it's a kind of a fun thing to talk about. But I think that the misnomer with the crash retrievals is that they didn't come from the sky. They didn't come from space. They didn't come from a uh, advanced civilization, advanced extraterrestrial and advanced alien civilization from off of our planet. They came from here. And they've always been here. We just found them. I mean, from there, you get into the idea, too, about, you know, possibly like rewriting history as a whole, that you have this history that's been displayed to you that they want you to believe, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. I mean, we could be looking at stuff literally just from like the last cataclysm to now, but it doesn't mean that there wasn't stuff that existed before then. And maybe they may not have been like, obviously, we know that there was different types of like humanoid beings, you know, the traps and different advanced technology hidden civilizations that we're looking at may not be humans as we know them, but a totally different type of human. And then after a cataclysm happened, we developed from that. And that's where like the reset came from is that it's not that the entire human race got reset, but rather it's a different side group, side race of 
human-like beings to begin with. So it's like, how, how many times could this theoretically have happened throughout history? And again, it's just like, they're just looking at it from the last great cataclysm building back up because if there's something huge that happened, people went underground a couple generations later, people forget how the technology works. Maybe there wasn't that many of like the people that were developing the technology. And then it just continues on from there that people would have to learn how to remake tools from the beginning again. You know, they start working with stones and then it goes up through the bronze age and then follows on back through from there. And we're only aware of that, even though this could have been something that happened 10 different times. And we're digging up all of this advanced technology that could have been pre-cataclysm, another pre-cataclysm, another pre-cataclysm. And then it's just been reset multiple times to the point where it's just completely lost off of us. And it makes absolutely no sense because we think in a totally different way than how this technology functions, because we're thinking of stuff from like how our technology functions, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to work in the same idea as how we've developed our technology and advancements. Yes, I agree with that. And I think that Graham Hancock would probably agree with that as well. I mean, who knows how many times this stuff has uh, happened and wiped out an entire civilization uh, on the planet and how many times that has uh, went through and who knows what that was due to. I mean, it could have been a, a giant natural disaster. It could have been an asteroid strike. It could have been a comet. It could have been a volcano erupting, taking out half of the planet. Who knows? I mean, in, uh, you know, a few people from this section of the world uh, surviving and all the other people, you know, dying off, you know, and, but I think, and I've been saying this on my show for a while now, that the next direction that this phenomenon is going to be pushed in is going to be USOs, underwater submergible objects. And, that is where the the next thing that the next big thing in the community is that's where it's going to go and we already seen it with the TMZ documentary which the third episode was just a smorgasbord of a bunch of different theories that they just threw on the wall um, but at the end of that third episode UFO revolution they talk about USOs and I was like, I'm, I, I knew that I was right. I've been talking about it for a year. That that is, that's going to be some of the next footage that gets released is going to be some UFOs coming out from underneath the water. Might not be right away, but I'm seeing sometime in the future, we're going to start hearing more about USOs, which brings us closer to the truth and closer to actually really what's happening because USOs bring in a whole different topic of uh, conversation in which leans us closer to, I believe, advanced military technology and the crypto terrestrial theory, which the crypto terrestrial theory is that if another version of ourselves exists, like not of ourselves, but a different kind of creature, a different humanoid, uh, upright walking thing like me and you are but look different than us they're not from another planet they're not from outside of the uh, earth they're not traveling here they're already they're already here they've been here they've lived here for a really long time this is their home and that is the only other possibility that i give to the extraterrestrial theory because I am very confident in saying 
that extraterrestrials do not exist. Now, I'm not confident in saying that a, another humanoid type creature also live on this planet and have been mis, uh, misidentified and mistaken as a extraterrestrial being. That is way higher of a probability and a possibility on my list of explanations of extraterrestrials. It's actually top. It's actually number one because it makes so much more sense than anything else that anybody has can and will ever come up with. They like to use the excuse of interdimensional, uh, uh, extra dimensional. They can just phase in and out of our, that's a perfect excuse. That's a really good excuse. That's an amazing excuse as to why there's no proof and why there's no evidence of extraterrestrial visitations. It's exactly like Bigfoot, right? Whenever people couldn't find physical evidence of Bigfoot, they turned it into interdimensional. Now Bigfoot is interdimensional and the reason that you can't find him, reasons you can't see him, the reason that you don't have any proof or evidence of Bigfoot is because he can phase in and out of reality because he's interdimensional. It's the exact same excuse that people use with religion and God and Jesus, right? You, you go into a church and, and you say, why can't I see God? Where is God? Where, where's Jesus? You know, if Jesus is real, where is he? I guarantee you the answer that you're going to get is, well, you can't see him because he's invisible. Which is the exact same explanation that they give to extraterrestrials, the exact same explanation that they give to Bigfoot, the exact same explanation that they give to paranormal activity. It's the exact same thing. I mean, just to continue on with that too, I want to make a comment about both the things you were saying. Um, I mean, as far as extraterrestrials theoretically coming from the sky, like we're thinking about things coming from like a carbon-based standpoint that we have our understanding of how life functions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that life functions the same in other places. So like if there are extraterrestrials coming from the sky, it may not be something that we understand how the life form exists. So it might theoretically like go under the radar, so to speak. Like, you know, it's something that's like uncarbon based. It's not built like us. It might be something that's more of like, um, you know, it could be like a plasma type being just, just to throw in the possibility of that. But diving into what you were saying, as far as coming from under the water, uh, that's something that I've kind of thrown around for a while about too. Um, cause I mean, you get into like the whole, like, weird side of the mermaid stuff that there's like the folklore to it. And then there's like these people that have supposedly have these real encounters with these like half human like type beings coming from under the water. And then the other thing that I take into consideration is that guy a couple of years ago who had found the uh, underwater oceans that he said were too buoyant that he wasn't able to go inside of um, because he said that like the sub would basically bounce off the top of them. And then there was like the random helicopter crash that happened with him right after he came out and started talking about that. So if you're talking about these like underwater oceans, there's some type of advanced human-like population of something that lives somewhere. I mean, they could theoretically be in those areas, and that's why that cover-up happened in the first place. 
or on the other side of it, talking about the whole like layers of government cover up, you know, they hear that this guy discovers this area in the ocean that he can't get into because it's super buoyant. So what they do is they make a martyr out of him and they kill him off so that people start questioning like what's coming from down in there, what's coming from down in there. So then you have somewhere tangible to point the finger towards and say they got to be coming from this area in the ocean that we can't quite get to. And then it opens up the opportunity again for them to be able to, again, test out all this advanced technology and have somewhere physical in this reality that people can point to that nobody can actually physically get to, even though they know where the location's at. You know what I mean? That's right. And, and that goes kind of both ways, you know, like uh, how people talk about, oh, well, if you if you're spreading the truth and you like, I saw someone the other day post, uh, well, they posted on X because it's X now. It's not Twitter anymore. we got to call it by its proper name. It's X. I'm always going to call um, it Twitter because there's a whole weird thing with symbology and X's that, again, we're talking about the last show that all these, like, uh, the guy from Norway or the royalty from Norway stepped down and their son stepped up and he's X at, like, supposed to be the 10th of his line. And then there's the whole thing with, like, England that they were saying that the one, uh, what's his face, the, the new king was going to... St- they was thinking about stepping down and his son's going to be at, at like the 10th of whatever name he's using. And there's just this weird thing with like X's and tens recently that is a little bit of diving everywhere. And I think there's symbology with that. Well, you also got, uh, the contact in the deserts, uh, conference this year is called contact in the desert X mm-hmm. because it's the 10th one. Right. Really interesting. And, but, Watch JFKX Solving the Crime of the Century on Amazon Prime and on Tubi if you get the chance. Uh, it's mine and Jay Widener's uh, new documentary on JFK, and uh, it is a hit, and I appreciate it if you would uh, check it out. You can also, if you're outside of the United States, you can watch it on Vimeo as well. So, and we did, we entitled the name of that movie before X even came out and all this X stuff. So we were actually ahead of the curve on the, the X uh, symbolism and using X in your title. But what I was mentioning with X is I saw someone make a tweet and listed off all of these people and it was directed toward David Icke. And they, they listed off all of these people that have uh, died or passed away under mysterious circumstances. And the person was basically like, if David Icke is out there spreading the truth and the real stuff, then why hasn't he died yet? Why haven't they killed him yet? I'm like, really? Like, just because all these people died doesn't mean that what they were talking about was real. Plus, I mean, if anything, if he was spreading, if he was literally saying the complete truth and nothing but the truth, if you kill the guy, then it's going to draw more attention to what he was saying. So it's like, it's counterproductive that if anybody is legitimately out here telling all the secrets, if you kill them, everybody's going to start looking at their words more specifically. So it's like, you have to do the complete opposite. If anybody is speaking the truth, you can't do nothing to them. And you just have to try to, you know, make them look as crazy as possible and discredit them as much as possible. Because again, you can't kill them off. Otherwise, you're just going to have a finger pointed at you. It's just wild. The kind of rhetoric that has been established in this community as well. It's just, it's, it, it blows my mind, right? Like people talking about, well, if you're popular, then you're not spreading the truth. I'm like, 
What do you mean? Isn't that like the goal is to get the, the information to as many people as possible? Like they have this backwards way of viewing everything, you know? And then they also are like, well, everything is controlled and it's all run by this specific group of people. I'm not going to say the group of people because it's, it is what it is. Right. And then I'm like, well, then how are we supposed to live then? Am I not able to go to the grocery store and get food to put in? Am I not allowed to buy land because it's all owned by this specific group of people? Like, what is this nonsense, dude? It, it is complete garbage nonsense is what it is. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to a rational mind. And if that's the case, then how are we even supposed to live? We can't. We can't do that stuff. We, we can't live a comfortable life if uh, you're not doing certain things that are uh, may possibly be controlled by a specific group of people. You just can't. And it's uh, and, and that's the travesty of, of the community is they, they get so deep into garbage nonsense that they lack all common sense and critical thinking and, and think that, uh, you know, everything is bad. Everything is wrong. If you're, if you're popular, if you're gaining popularity within the community, then, then you're a shill, then you're a CIA agent, that you're working for the NSA, that you're a government agent, that you're uh, a spy and all that shit. Well, what happened to hard work? Are you not supposed to grow with hard work? Are you the consistency and the effort and the things that you do? Are you not supposed to grow? Are you not supposed to get more followers? Are, are more people not supposed to be in, interested? Do you want me to be a martyr? This person is talking to David Icke in this way, wants David Icke to be a martyr. And the way that they labeled that and the way that they talked about that and said listed all those other people that had died or died under mysterious circumstances, uh, they, they worded that like they want David Icke to die. So that his words and everything that he says that it will then be engulfed into mythology and be taken as like real and be taken as like legit. Like it's so bass awkwards, dude. The community is so bass awkwards, bro. Dude, I think it's one of those things though that people just want to believe in what they want to believe in. And it's no different from like any any field of research realistically, is that you set up like the basic principles and then nobody wants to deter away from that because they want to one either fit in with the community or two they don't want to cut somebody down or no they they do want to cut somebody down because maybe they're jealous of the research or the publicity that they're getting actually expanding the research but i feel like there's just a lot of like personal um vendettas that are involved with a lot of this stuff going back and forth with the community that it's like you know there's the people that want somebody to become a martyr because then again their words get immortalized and then you can take everything to heart and that person isn't around to necessarily explain like how exactly they meant the words and then everything's up for interpretation where people can kind of bend and contort the words as much as possible and then the other side of it is the fact that they want to discredit and cut everybody down so that they can continue out the works and with the work and possibly take credit for where everything is advancing to. That's right. I agree with that. And I think that that is a big thing because we see people regurgitating people's words that have been dead for a really long time where you can't contact them or they're no longer 
in the spotlight. I mean, people take people's stuff like and, and regurgitate it like all the time. You know, Is, Ishmael Prez's whole uh, his whole thing, his whole shtick is based off of other people's work, based off the Urantia book, uh, based off of Ashiana Dean, you know, and, uh, and mixed in with a, a bunch of other people, you know, that are no longer around, that can't come out and say, oh, hey, um, where did you get that from? You know? Mm-hmm. How did that? How did that happen, you know? And that, I think that that is definitely a part of it as well. But the, the, the problem in the issue became is when they could no longer put a, a, a lid on the entire phenomenon because people are thinking that the, there's been a giant cover-up for decades and decades and decades when not realizing that the cover-up is the actual cover-up. And you know what's really funny too is that everybody who's into this community is super-duper into like X-Files and that seems to be an ongoing thing throughout that series is the fact that a lot of it is like a cover-up of a cover-up that they want everybody to believe it's extraterrestrials when it's actually human intervention. So it's kind of funny that like that whole principle is even seen within sci-fi TV shows, yet it seems to be a track that not a lot of people want to take, even though it seems like even that's kind of getting trickled into the mainstream a little bit. It is, and... It's just so fast. I mean, this is the most toxic, disgraceful community of trolls and people telling you that you're wrong and that you don't know what you're talking about and that uh, uh, based off of their experiences, you can't possibly be right. Like, dude, I would rather, in some cases, I would almost rather sit down with a fundamentalist Christian and speak with them than some of these whacked people on the internet. Like, Dude, that's, that's the other kind of funny part though, is that people will come from different backgrounds. And that's another thing too, is that they'll try to make things fit within their context of how they view the world. So it's like, you know, there's the extraterrestrial community that exists within the religious paradigm that they believe that like all the extraterrestrials, the UFOs, all of that stuff are like the angels and the flaming chariots and this and that. So it's like, no matter what the phenomenon is, no matter what background you come from, people are going to find a way to make it fit within their paradigm. And once it fits within their paradigm, they're going to fight people tooth and nail that have opposing views, even though realistically they're all talking about different perspectives of possibly the same things. <laughs> Yeah, just like all of religions, they're all they're all speaking about the the fundamental same things with different words and uh, different stories. But the foundation of all religions is the fundamental thing that all of them have, and uh, this arguing and, and bickering back and forth of, oh, it's this, no, it's that, no, you don't know what you're talking about, you're a disinformationalist, you're a misinformationalist, you know, and it's, it's unbelievable, there's not really any other community that I can think of that's like that. Nothing new under the sun, man, it's just regurgitated once it gets forgotten about. Yeah, and then people are posting video, uh, photos and videos of things that have acting like it's new when it's been around for decades it's just a it's a mess and then on top of that i always got to throw it in you got ai on top of that so it's like 
people have this new crazy UFO footage, but it's like, thanks to AI, you can't necessarily believe it. Somebody, there could literally be, whether it's a government craft or an interdimensional, extraterrestrial, whatever way you want to view a craft, you could have the perfect video that shows every single detail of this thing. And if you present it on the internet, there's still going to be fighting within that, that people are going to believe it or they're not going to believe it. And people are going to think it's AI or they're not going to think it's AI. So it's like, no matter what, it's just, it's always just going to be bickering back and forth. And the more that you get people bickering and stirring up, the more that people are never going to catch on to what's actually going on. Cause they're too busy fighting amongst each other. And it's literally, it's literally only in this community that this thing happens. Regular, normal, everyday people don't care about this shit, dude. They don't. They don't care about UFOs. They don't care about extraterrestrials. I was just talking with a gentleman the other day. I was like, hey, what do you think about this UFO thing? Like, they just had a congressional hearing where there's a supposed whistleblower that uh, came up and testified that the government is in possession of non-biologic entities and and, um, craft that wasn't made on the earth. He was like, I don't believe it. You know, literally the only people that care about this shit is the people that are in the community. The average person isn't going to care unless you're involved in an experience or it lands in your front yard one day. (laughs) Yeah, and those, in that bickering back and forth is literally just, and I think that that is done on purpose, so we can't move the the conversation uh, forward, right? There's always that, that opposition to whatever it is that you're saying. Like, they could legitimately bring out something that is 100% real. The, the, a large majority of the population isn't going to believe it anyway. They're going to think it's like a movie prop or something. Like, oh, I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. I, I remember seeing something that looked like that, just like that in the movie. They just painted it differently. They're just not. They're just not going to believe it, you know? So it really doesn't make a difference regardless of what they do, whether they say that it's real, whether they don't say that it's real. I mean, how many people in 2020 was like, oh, well, I believed in uh, UFOs until the government came out and said that uh, UFOs were real. You know, it, it actually does the, the, the opposite. And the majority of people that care and that have these hardcore beliefs are not everyday people. Maybe that was the intention from the first place is that you throw so much information on the pot. You have the truth, you have lies, you just have it all thrown together to a point where nobody knows what path to follow. And for every truthful piece of information, there's also another piece of information that completely goes against that, that is completely false, but also still logically makes sense. So then you end up again, creating infighting and you intentionally drop truthful things with that lie attached to it that also makes sense so that again it just you can do whatever you want you can just throw whatever you want in the pot and people are just are never going to know which direction to go <laughs> yeah and it just creates a echo chamber of people that's all that it really does it creates a community echo chamber of people that all believe in the same thing and the ones that are new to it don't want to get involved because they get made fun of they get attacked they get ridiculed for not knowing the whole lore and mythology of the entire phenomenon. When that might be a good thing if you come into it and you don't have the preconceived notion of what it is. You just come in from an honest standpoint of research and investigation. That's probably the only possibility of how you might actually get to the truth of it is if, again, you don't have that whole built 
background of what you should believe. But, but because of the old community, they make it so that's not possible to do. That's exactly right. You just get bombarded by a bunch of nonsense. 24-7, you have to sift through all the garbage. And a lot of people aren't really willing to do that. They lose interest they from people it. yelling at them before that point. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, that's not what it is. That's a blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. You know, I'm, I'm new here, okay? I'm not stupid. I'm just new, okay? But that's, uh, I'm sure that people that are just coming into the community um, really feel like they're not welcomed because of those people. You know, they're just pushing them away, you know? And I was kind of, you know, lucky that I... Uh, knew about a lot of this stuff before I even started my show. So I already had a, uh, a foundation of what's going on, but I would imagine that it would be a nightmare for someone that had absolutely no idea what was going on. They don't know the history. They don't know the background of UFOs. They never heard of uh, the thing that everyone always refers to when they're talking about UFOs, which is Roswell. Can we move on from that event by now? Like, holy shit, guys. How much longer can we keep talking about Roswell? Okay? Let's move on from that shit. And the farther you get so, away from it, the less truth you're actually going to find in it. It's just going to become part of folklore, and there's not going to be anything tangible, again, the farther we get from the event. All part of legend. It's a legend. And, you know, I, I f would feel sorry. I, I couldn't imagine the ridicule and the uh, the amount of nonsense that someone would have to sift through to actually get a good grounded perspective on UFOs and UAPs there's just so much there's too much to go through and i personally believe that not very many people are going to want to do that and they're not going to be able to take on the community head on like that cuz they're just going to get attacked and ridiculed I mean, maybe it's one of those things kind of like how science evolves that you have the old schoolers that have their way of doing things and science's research investigating it all progresses. And it's a matter of sometimes that like the older generation has to phase out in order for the new generation to develop their new methods of thinking. But again, that may also be completely wrong, but I think we're in one of those kind of like transitional periods where there's like the new school UFO and then the old school UFO, and it's progressing into something completely new, but the old school UFO crowd is still trying to, you know, get their, get their grip in and still be established and still be known as part of the UFO community, even though if the UFO community keeps progressing, everything that they've researched and said may at that point then become, you know, completely irrelevant and their name will just kind of be lost within the UFO community. And they're just trying to hold on to it still. This whole generation of people, this whole technological generation of people can be lost. What are they worried about? This, this whole thing is going to, in 200 years, if something happens, people are never even going to know that we were even here. Yeah, I mean, unless you make a mark in history, everybody and everything gets forgotten eventually. <laughs> everything is digitalized now. Literally, all they have to do is wipe the internet. Boom. It's like we never happened. We didn't exist. Gone. Erased. And that's the crazy thing, though, is that people think that they're 
retaining all information, everything will get remembered now versus the past because we have technology. But again, all it takes is a solar flare and everything, every bit of knowledge we've ever possessed is then wiped out. So it's like maybe the smart thing to do is that if you want to have your research and everything get remembered and you have to have it in like tangible books, you know, you have to have it like written in stone or something, not something that can instantly be destroyed by like a solar flare. So maybe like the older civilizations had it right in the aspect of like, you need to have a physical tangible item that can't necessarily be destroyed by something without you even being aware that it gets destroyed. I mean, I guess everything has its downfall and can potentially be destroyed in some way, shape or form. But the way we're moving now, again, all it takes is a solar flare and every single bit of research anybody's ever done is completely gone, but the books will still be around. <laughs> well, just look in the past 25 years, right? What we used to use was floppy disk. That's how we stored a lot of our information. Nobody's got a floppy disk drive anymore. Shit, laptops barely even have CD drives anymore. Exactly. So it was CDs, floppy disk, and uh, other forms and methods of uh, storing data. Who's to say in, even if you were to put all of your information on some sort of digital, uh, like like a hard drive, Who's to say in 200 years they even have the technology to, to plug a, a USB cable into something to even view it? <laughs> that makes you wonder how much stuff could potentially be from the past that like all the answers could theoretically be on it, but we don't have a means of actually being able to open and access that information. <laughs> That's right. You know, people don't real, realize how frugal our lives are and how much um, time and energy and effort has been put on to creating this digital world that we're all a part, part of and the social media and these videos and these podcasts when we think that we're making a, a mark and a, and a stamp on uh, history when it could all be gone tomorrow. <laughs> like, like I said, they just decide to shut down the internet somewhere and you can't access any of the information. It could still be out there in the ether, but doesn't mean anybody can access it. So in turn ends up being forgotten and lost amongst the ridiculous piles and piles and piles of data that there is in the digital universe. That's why it's important just to be remembered. This is going to be my wisdom and my, uh, and my wise words for the uh, end of the episode. This is why it's important. It's not important what you do on the internet. It's not important uh, what you talk about. It's not, uh, none of that is going to matter. All that matters is your interactions with people. That's what you can be remembered for. And that's the only thing that you're going to ever be remembered for. Right? This podcast, my show, your show, anybody else's podcast, anybody else's show is not going to be written down in the history books. It's just not. Maybe one person, maybe possibly Joe Rogan, but that is like a, even that I don't even think will ever be written down as like in like an archive. I don't no. think so. I don't think it's ever going to be. So the, the thing that we need to focus on is, yeah, we can be doing this and, uh, and we are making a difference in this current time, but in a hundred years, it's no longer going to matter. There's going to be a new generation of people, new technology, different ways of doing things, different ways of life. So really all that matters is how you treat other people in the world, what you do for them, what kind of conversations you have with them, what kind of wisdom 
Do you give them what kind of uh, knowledge and insight do you give them? Are you nice to them? You know, are you helpful? That's really all that we have. Everything else can be wiped in a matter of seconds, in the snap of a finger. We could wake up tomorrow and all the work, all the uh, four years that I've put into doing my show, making my podcast, doing all the editing, the documentary that I edited uh, for a month and uh, a month straight and put together and put out, can be gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've said it a million times, man, life's about experience. And in the end, again, that's, that's what ends up getting remembered. And I mean, hopeful thinking, you know, you have like the Greeks with all the philosophers, maybe like the podcast will be known as the philosophers of our time, or maybe some of them will get remembered through history. But again, how many ancient Greek philosophers were there versus how many actually were documented and remembered? So, I mean, like, you know, there's probably thousands and thousands of them, but maybe a couple, maybe a hundred, 200 at most were actually got remembered through time. I mean, who's to say it's going to be any different, even if we did get lucky enough to be known as, again, like the philosophers of our time. <laughs> yeah, and that's not me saying that I'm going to, uh, you know, disparaging anybody from doing it. Don't take it that way. The audience, the people that are listening, don't take it that way. Then I'm saying that, oh, well, it's pointless to do, uh, you know, don't do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that realize that it could be completely wiped and no one know that we ever existed. Very easily, like we were never even here, you know. So uh, you, you can. Uh, I, I, I'm just saying, count your blessings and treat people uh, nicely. Uh, you keep your interactions with people positive and try and uh, you know uh, build people up and not shit on them like uh, people do in this community every single day. <laughs> Ain't that the truth, man? And some perfect words of wisdom to uh, end the show up with. And of course, with that, you talked about your documentary, you talked about your show, you talked about all the different work you do. So why don't you let everybody know where they can come and find your documentary, your podcast, and anything else that you got going on on the internet for now, until the solar flare happens. (laughs) Yeah, solar flare could be happening tomorrow. I'm predicting. I'm seeing the future. I'm future. I got my crystal ball out. Yep, you know sound effects. I'm seeing it. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow at 5.55 p.m. Massive solar flare. No, I got to put it way farther out into the future. So by the time that I'm. It has to be after you die so that nobody can come back and actually throw it back on you. That's what has to be. That's right. That's the the perfect way to do it, right? We'll we'll make it the date of uh, uh, of 2090. And then what happens with that? People say maybe they're seeing into a different reality. So then it goes back into what you were saying earlier in the show, (laughs) that it's something intangible. Like the Mandela effect's happening, man. They're predicting the future, but we're not on that timeline anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we got off the timeline, so therefore we averted the the, the crisis. All the humans were such good humans. They raised their vibrations to such a certain level that we avoided uh, catastrophe. Uh, you can find me on uh, Raised by Giants on any and all podcast platforms on YouTube, on uh, Spotify, Radio, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble. And uh, you can watch my documentary that I uh, directed and edited with Jay Widener on Amazon Prime, uh, Tubi. You can watch it for free with ads on Tubi. Just type in JFKX. And uh, if you're an international audience, you're listening from Outside of the United States, you can listen. Uh, you can watch JFKX on uh, Vimeo as well. So thanks so much for having me on, my friend. Really appreciate it. Fantastic conversation. Uh, let's, uh, let's do it again sometime soon. Absolutely, man. And for all the listeners out there, of course, I will include all the links down in the show description. 
And uh, as soon as you get something else that you're working on, man, uh, I'd love to have you on the show. You're always diving into some fascinating, interesting stuff, and it always leads to leads to some awesome conversation. So as far as I'm concerned, man, you're always welcome on the show. Whenever you got something you want to come on and talk about, throw it over and we'll set up a new date, man. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate you. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, if you guys leave five stars, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And if you think there's anybody that might enjoy this particular episode, I don't care if they're a friend, I don't care if they're an enemy, I don't care if they're just a random colleague you might know, share the shit out of the show because that's the only way that it's going to keep getting pushed up in the algorithm and make it so that more and more people are able to see the show. And anything you guys do, I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can do so through social media. Uh, the ones I'm the most active on is Instagram and Facebook, of course. Or you guys can email me at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree and fill the submission form all the way at the top. Or if you guys have any encounters that you'd like to report, no matter how big, no matter how small, I would absolutely love to hear about them. We can keep it between us. I can promote it on the show a little bit and we can talk about it, uh, but we'll have some back and forth. I might even be able to come in investigating, investigate it depending on where you're at. But if you guys have any encounters to report, you guys can do so to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a specific submission form for that that says report an encounter. So don't forget to do that. And uh, everything that I've mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.